0: Hi guys, welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast that helps you raise your game in aesthetics. And today a super exciting one for me. My name is Miranda Pierce, I'm a director here at Skin Beaver Training, and I am with Paula Madigan, who has joined me to do a super special aesthetics mastery. And basically, so Paula, you're a consultant nurse mm-hmm. in a private, not private, in a, a primary care setting, in a GP setting, but also, of course, Paula is a aesthetics nurse extraordinaire. <laughs> you have very quickly risen through your own ranks, because yes. there are no ranks <laughs> yes. to rise through yes. in, your own, in your own business. But the way that I came to interact with you, Paula, and to get to know you, because you didn't train initially with Scheme mm. Training. Yep. Although you're here today because yesterday you did your nose training with Tim, Yes. But the way that I, basically, the way that you came to be very much in my life, actually in a very intense way, um, in a bad way. Yeah was because you yourself experienced filler blindness. Can, yeah. we, can we call it temp it, could we call it yeah. temporary filler blindness? What's yeah. the technical term? Yeah,
1: yeah, so it was, it was dermal filler blindness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately I recovered from it. But um yeah, I reached out to to you and to Tim when I was Diagnosed and in hospital and very vulnerable and very scared and
0: and 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 not because it's one of those that there's very little precedent, isn't there? So you yeah, there's so little information about it. You were reaching out, and so we'll come back to that, of course. But. So then we were kind of, I mean, I, I felt very bonded to you very yeah. quickly, and but also you have um, been very prominent in the Medical Aesthetics Mindset Warriors, which yeah. is my Facebook group yeah. where we look after mindset issues. Yeah. So I think this Aesthetics Mastery today, I want to probe you so that people watching can understand how to grow their business quickly mm-hmm. as you have, mm-hmm. but I think that very much in that will be discussions about mindset yeah because those of you who follow me and know me will know that basically I don't there are very few sentences that come out of my mouth <laughs> that don't evolve mindset yeah because I believe that success in business is 80% mindset and only 20% like the things Let's that go. you do like the yeah. course that you yeah. come on and, yeah yeah because you could come on a million courses and then just yeah. not implement any of them yeah Absolutely. whereas if you do what you do yeah. which is go on a very intense journey of self discovery, yeah, yeah. then that's where the quick growth comes from. Yeah. So I would like to probe your brain to understand Yes. How, and, and to apply it so that people watching can apply that to their to yes. their lives and to their yeah. um to their yeah. own businesses. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me because you were in you've only been in general practice for six months. Yes. Yeah. And before then you spent 17 years in acute care. Tell yeah. me about your meteoric rise in the NHS.
1: So I've got quite an unusual story in the NHS and so much is that um, when I first started I went straight into A&E and very very quickly um, was successful in a post as an advanced nurse practitioner. So this is when we still had grades in the NHS so I went from a D grade to a G grade or what would be like a band five to a band seven. So I made a massive jump um, not just banding but you know from a responsibility and yeah. autonomy perspective um, and I was only like just three years qualified at the time. so I was very much you know amongst loads of practitioners who had years and years and years of experience in the yeah. NHS. So I was that person who was just extremely academic, had two degrees um, you know was like steeped in, in academia, but had very little experience. Um, And all of a sudden I was surrounded by these nurses who were all very, very experienced, um, but not quite as academic. Um, And so worked as an advanced nurse practitioner, then progressed again to be a clinical nurse manager for advanced nurse practitioners. So I was a trainer for advanced nurse practitioners and then very quickly became a consultant nurse. So I worked my way through the NHS very, very quickly based on you know, my academic ability and my clinical ability, Um, and it's quite unheard of in the NHS, you know, I was the youngest advanced nurse practitioner in our team at the time, Um, I was the youngest consultant nurse in the UK and Scotland, and still am, like, 10 years later, Um, but at the time, I just said, you know, I was in the right place at the right time, and didn't really acknowledge the amount of work that I put into it and the amount of personal development that I had to take on to actually get to each progression. Um, But it was. It it was because I found myself in that situation and I was like, I I don't want to feel like if somebody taps me on the shoulder that they're going to find me out. I want someone to tap me on the shoulder. I want to be able to say,
0: like, I belong here and here's why. (laughs) So that's super interesting. So when you were on this rise... Mm It sounds from just reading between the lines that maybe you had some eyes on you, kind of like, oh yeah, yeah who's this yeah. kind of thing. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this because yeah. a lot of people, I think, in aesthetics have rocked out their career in the yeah. NHS. Yeah. So eyes on you kind of been like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, who's who she is she is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then, so then you were on a journey... Uh, almost maybe at first it sounds like to kind of prove to yourself and to them that you belonged here so would you go as far to say that you had imposter syndrome or is that just overstated? totally no I completely had
1: imposter syndrome and and weirdly I had a total journey of self-development as well and so much as that like so first of all I was like a bull in a china shop and you know so much as that I had these like high standards I had all this academic knowledge I knew what like um all of the guidelines were um, and I wanted to impose that knowledge on everyone else to show my status Mm -hmm. but then I quickly discovered that the transaction from that wasn't great and the relationships that I was building with people weren't great and people weren't accepting like me you know just based on my knowledge base and you know, wouldn't be as helpful as they would be to other practitioners. So I I learned a lot about emotional intelligence. Mm. And along with being like very decisive, I then learned to be influential Mm. and and to be able to have like a good transactional relationship with people and to approach things with much more tact and, you know, like always be the most reasonable person in the room, like kill people with kindness, those sorts of things. Like, were the things that really made me in my career. It wasn't just my ability to learn and be a really, really great clinician. It was about understanding how to make other people work for and with you. And that was a real, like, defining moment that helped me escalate my career. But I absolutely had imposter syndrome when I started.
0: And one of the things, again, that I, if I, if someone had to say to me, like, some Paul are up in, you know, three bullet points, very high up in the bullet points would be about how much you help others in. Yeah. Specifically, the, face, the aesthetic Facebook groups. Yeah. And actually, you're super loved and well-known because you will just, like, lay it all out and yeah. you will help someone and there's no... There's not like a uh, like the zero cattiness no. or and there's no kind of huffing because I, I I observe in the Facebook groups that some people are like um, oh well why do you ask that question that's a stupid question <laughs> yeah. I mean our in our Facebook groups there's a rule that like, there are yeah. those silly silly questions but you you can see people kind of the cogs going round and they're like you know come on you know you should know that whereas yeah. I feel like you always are like just help give the yeah. most amount of help possible yeah. so. Does that relate back to what you were just saying before? Is yeah. that you learned that you had you had to help people yeah, to you know get the standards much. met that you wanted?
1: Very much. I think like I also appreciate that at some point somebody gave me an opportunity yeah. and like I worked really, really hard at that opportunity but in my career various people have invested in me Mm. either through like teaching me emotional intelligence or teaching me clinically and I am eternally grateful for that and I would never have developed if it hadn't been for those key people in my career and I always think like if I can give some of that back to them. And I I did that in my NHS job when I was looking for other advanced nurse practitioners. I wouldn't look for people with 20 years experience. I would look for what people had done with with the time that they had been Mm -hmm. in the NHS Mm -hmm. and give people the opportunity to develop. But I think it's about recognizing what had contributed to my own development, yes. being grateful for it, and then trying to give that back out into the universe. Yeah, yeah, Does that yeah. make
0: sense? Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. And I, so it's basically it's an abundance mindset, yeah. where you think, well, I'm just going to give, and I will try. You know, not that I'm going to give so that I can get. It's like yeah. I'm just going to give because that's what happened to me, exactly. and it seems like a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it will be a good thing for you. I'm so grateful for it. So. 17 years obviously it's a quick amount to skip but when did you have your eye turned by the wonderful world of aesthetics?
1: Aesthetics, so I think in, um, I might might not like this might not resonate with everybody but it feels like very much in the nhs or the acute side of the nhs there is a glass ceiling for people that are not doctors so
0: i think absolutely yeah
1: like i got to the stage where i was restricted by my profession and not by my ability Mm -hmm. um and also like you know hand in my heart truth be told I had trained a lot of AMPs that had gone into aesthetics, and I was looking at their Instagram feeds, and they were going on like two (laughs) holidays a year, and I was thinking, I'm doing something wrong here. Like, I am totally missing a trick. So, there was a little bit that was like financial, like, if if I can make this work for my family, then that would be great. But there was also a part of it where I thought, this could really, really be freedom for me clinically to be my own clinical director my own you know captain of my ship and decide what is you know my concrete floor and just have no glass ceilings and and that and that's what i describe like when i'm teaching advanced nurse practitioners i give them a concrete floor but no glass ceiling you know there are no boundaries
0: Amazing, it's so beautiful actually that you've had that thought and you were able to then pass that on, yeah, to pay it forward, yeah. So, you had your eye turned, yeah, you did your course, I did, yeah. and how were things at first? Like, did you find it easy to get clients? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible, so I was
1: like, um, and I'm eternally grateful for the space that I got to practice in, but um, I was paying like top dollar for the space that I was renting because in Scotland, obviously, we have history registration yes the the health improvement scotland which is like high quality commission for england yep um so it's expensive or you have to work somewhere so i was working in a dental surgery it was quite expensive to rent space i was you know i had no idea about business so i was like giving what i thought was cost price treatment i was losing money hand over fist um but I was gaining loads of experience, yeah. so I must have lost loads in, in the first few months that I did aesthetics. Um, but I was determined to keep going I was determined to find my own premises I was determined to make it work mm-hmm. and I'm eternally grateful to like my husband for supporting me at the time and he very much did sort of both financially invest in it and, and me and keep us going and my NHS job subsidised yes. it for the first wee while um, and then unfortunately in the middle of all that like disaster struck a wee bit and then i had treatment myself and had a complication from treatment
0: and before we move on to that Mm. what when you were so you'd just to clarify as well because i think there's sometimes Mm. confusion around this so in scotland health improvement scotland says that anyone who's of a regulated um uh, like so for example obviously you're a nurse so yeah. you're looked after the, the NMC therefore you can't do aesthetics unless you register with HIS, yeah. the Health yeah. Scotland whereas in England, um, Care Quality Commission, there are only a few kind of outlying treatments yeah. to which you have to be re- regulated for, yeah. so that's why it was imperative for you to get, but unfortunately expensive for you yeah. to get yeah. this this um, dentist environment and then you sort out your own environment yeah. with a within more like a salon setting Um but when you were sort of, you say, you kind of skipped over that and said, oh yeah, you know, but I, I wanted to carry on. Mm-hmm. But what made you, because people think to themselves, they ask this question, which is unfortunately a really bad question. They ask themselves, is it worth, actually it's not a yeah. bad question, it's just a bit of a disempowering question. Is it worth it? All this hassle, all the emotional hassle of worrying about complications, all the thing of like, you know, the outlay of training and obviously you had this additional thing, whereas in England we can just get a salon yeah. and we don't have to pay rent yeah. as it were. Why did you keep going?
1: So I think there was two two values that I found in it that I wasn't expecting to find, um, and one was the sort of like the self value, and so much as that actually, I'm quite technically good at this, and that gave me, you know, like sort of self actualization in, my, in myself. And then the other was the patient's reaction, and I okay. wasn't expecting to find so much value in that moment when the patient takes the mirror and hugs the Aww. mirror and is like oh my god you've changed my life Aww. and you know that was so rewarding and I found that I built, I built my career really quickly so I did like my basic training and then I did advanced training very 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 quickly. So
0: let me show you that, so when did you do your first training?
1: So I did my first training, oh my goodness, um, I think I did it in the April... Um, 17, two years ago. 17, yeah, 2017. still so quick. Yeah. Honestly, with where you're at right yeah. now. And so, then I did, like, my tear two-and-a-half cheeks, jaws, oh. like, a month later. Okay. So I, I was very, very quick yeah. to progress.
0: And what I'm interested by, that mirror moment that yeah. you're talking about, which is yeah. beautiful, and it's yeah. why we do it, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's... Um, but I feel like what a lot of people don't realise is... They love it practitioners mm-hmm. I'm talking about now. They love it, but they don't do what you've done which is super empowering which mm. is to say okay, someone had that amazing mirror moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that means I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And that connection, it seems yeah. like an obvious thing but people don't make it. They oh. they love the mirror moments mm-hmm. and of course it will naturally kind of subconsciously build their confidence. But they don't Put it into their backpack of yeah. like, oh, okay, maybe I can means. do this, yeah. and like. So, what made you make that connection?
1: I think like it very much came from a journey of discovery through advanced practice, and so much as that, I had always been waiting for that tap on the shoulder and somebody yeah. to say, like, you know, show me what it is that that makes you able to call yourself an A and or a consultant nurse or whatever it was. I was. You know, calling myself at the time, um, and so I already understood how to build, and define, and defend your own competence. And part of that, and a massive part of that, is patient feedback. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's the technical aspects of it. There's a the clinical governance aspects of it, but a huge part of it is patient satisfaction. Yeah. You know, that is a massive part of. Of your ability to say that you're a good practitioner, and I knew that 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 meant that I was doing something right.
0: So you basically had a formula in your yeah. head, which you had developed almost through yeah. pain. Yeah. Which was you were worried because you have this meteoric rise in your yeah. in your NHS career. You felt like an imposter. Yeah. You were very young. Yeah. You expected the tap on the shoulder, <laughs> whether or not it came. In the meantime, you were scurrying away, yeah. to proving your worth. But then, which in some respects. Is I think if you'd carry on a lifetime of doing that, I think it wouldn't be great because yeah. then you wouldn't necessarily validate your. But actually, it was good because you did it at the beginning. Then you're like, oh, okay, well I've got this formula. Okay, well I am with. Yeah. And then yeah. you applied that to your aesthetics. Yeah. Whereas I think that too many people I know, too many people watching this now, listening to this now, will actually they will be doing amazing things in aesthetics, but they're not putting it mm. as a notch on their bedpost. Mm-hmm. They need to recognise mm-hmm. when something goes well. Or doesn't go bad because let's be honest, yeah. you know some people don't have that mirror moment, particularly with with uh, with Botox, yeah. Um, because you can't see it, so yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, But then they go away. They might not even text you, but they're yeah. really happy and they're they doing more stuff in their life yeah. because you yeah. gave them that gift. Yeah, absolutely. So you had a formula, and you and you, and so. It's- so you had lots of mirror moments. You Tell me about when you said you were good at it in terms of, like, were you getting good results?
1: Or? Yeah, so technically, like, my before and afters were good. Like, I was getting, like... I mean, I, I was probably it was fifty percent fluke and fifty percent technical <laughs> ability at the time. I've got much better since, you know. I, I, I had my disasters, and people always say that you know your disasters are like Velcro and your successes are like Teflon, you know, and so much as they, they bounce off you, but your disasters always stick to you. And I was lucky, um, I think, that I didn't have too many disasters in the first instance. I think if I'd had a catastrophic event combined with the amount that I. Was was losing, I may I may very well have asked myself that question yeah. of is this really worth it? Yeah. Um but I was lucky in so much as that I had a lot of very nice experiences with people yeah. getting, you know, really nice results or giving very positive feedback and I did go out my way to sort of get feedback from people. But Good. yeah, I mean Good you step. do you do like always have that like bad WhatsApp moment when you message somebody like oh you know how are you getting on and then you can see the bridge <laughs> like
0: and they're not replying oh, they're not
1: replying they must hate that but um but no um I did I did treatments in such high volumes as well like I grew through um so my biggest growth in the first six months was through personal recommendation that was how i grew and i knew that that was the best model for growth so not using like facebook and not investing any massive money in marketing but just through personal recommendations and that to me was was the biggest validation of my work you know if if my, if I'm good enough to be recommended to a friend, then I'm that that's good enough for me. But definitely. How did
0: you enhance I mean, apart from just being being the chisel, like how did you enhance the personal recommendation machine?
1: So in the early days, I didn't really recognize that that was how my business was growing. But now we've got like a formal referral scheme and we encourage people to refer a friend and they get you know money off their treatment for it and their friend gets money off their treatment from it. And we've got a practitioner referral scheme, we've got Instagram or influencers, so very much I've reflected on what it was that made my business successful. But in the first six months, my business wasn't successful. <laughs> oh, it really wasn't. It was an absolute, you know, I was lucky in so much as I was getting really good results, but I was losing money hand over fist.
0: When did you, well, first of all, why did you go down that route of just uh, not charging very much, just because you wanted the experience?
1: Yeah, I think, so in my head, cost was, cost of the product cost of the room, never included my time in it, never thought about follow-up. And so that was how I was losing money. So for example, when people came back for their Botox review, I never factored that time into my original cost. So I would lose money when people came back for their Botox review, both in product and in time in the room. Um or if people wanted their lips like that, you know, I've got a lump or something like that and you would bring them back again. I would lose a significant amount of money. So I never factored that in. And so very quickly, I had to change my business model or risk going under. After about six months? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably Probably before the six months, I started to charge a little bit more. Um, but I, d- I did like everything that you shouldn't do you know the whole mates race thing yeah. like, everything that you shouldn't do I did in that first 6 months and I'm lucky to have survived it I really am but uh, after that I had to make some drastic decisions if it was going to keep going and if it was going
0: to be viable I know that when people hear that other practitioners have increased prices yeah there can be a real dread in that because Mm -hmm. tell us about the moment when you said to your regulars dudes this is going to cost more
1: yeah so I mean there's not been one that I can think of of my regulars who have said like you know this is now what the cost is that have walked away and gone to another practitioner
0: did you have any sharp intakes of breath
1: (sighs) not
0: really not
1: really because i think i went about it in such a way as that like so up until now i've just been charging you for the cost of the product but actually i need to charge you for my time you know um my time it's not just about my time here today it's about what getting to this point has cost me in terms of courses in terms of time spent training like and I I need to recoup some of that cost. So like I need to charge you for my time, you know, I'm really, really sorry. But if I don't, my business is not gonna last yeah. and, and you're not gonna get to see me as a practitioner. So
0: okay, question. Yeah. When you say that to me then I'm I'm with I'm on board with, you know, I'm the client, yeah. I'm on board, I'm 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 down with it. But I do have a question mark as, should you have to justify yourself? Yeah, or uh, would you just say to me, well, dude, it worked, so it's fine. And then we moved on and we don't have to talk about it now.
1: Yeah, I probably didn't, like, fully justify it to everybody. Yeah. Just, like, a couple of individuals who consistently expected, you know, yes. to come and get their thoughts for a ridiculous pace. Yeah. Um, or for the people who would come back and say, like, really question mark or you know, only the people that questioned it I would okay. then feel the need to like justify it. Mm-hmm. And I would as far as possible I would try and do it with them in the clinic. So yes. it wasn't face to face. Yeah, so it wasn't via text. Although it would have been so much easier just to text them with it and then leave the ball in their court. But I think when you've got them in the clinic you know, you reinforce everything that is good about your service, the personalism, the follow-up, the banter, like, you know, all of those things that makes your service what it is. And if they choose to go somewhere else, then that's fine, like, no harm, no foul, I'll not hold it against you, I'll completely understand, but this this is my business now, and to make my business successful, this is what I need to do.
0: Success- successful and sustainable on the long term. Exactly. Which is why if anyone's listening hit now and they're charging too little and they actually yep. resent it, yep. then it sounds like, you know, it's totally doable. Yep. Oh, it's more prices. And make it sustainable and don't yep. really walk around with that burden of like... Oh. I
1: had all of the things that you talk about. I had like discount Tourette's. Like, honestly, I <laughs> had it all. Discount Tourette's that is referring to and <laughs> people don't
0: follow yeah. the group is when, you know, that, that moment when you just say, It'll be cheaper. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, huh, like 500 pounds off. And then you're, <laughs> you're like, know. oh why have I done? I, oh, yeah. I
1: know and then they pull out their purse and you can see their purse is like chalked full of money and you're like, oh what did I
0: do? <laughs> <laughs> so you you kind of you control yourself. So you, six months in, you mm-hmm. change your prices or ish. Um when did you move away from the dentist's place and you got your own place?
1: Um so that actually happened after I think it was the December of the of that year that I moved into yeah, yeah, uh-huh Um and at the time I think I had just recovered. Um no, that, so doesn't make,
0: that doesn't make sense. so you started in April twenty seventeen yeah, and then think this, so. your um your filler blindness happened a year ago.
1: Oh yeah, no, no no that's right. So we moved in we moved in December of that year. And it was quite quiet, but um, but I had my own space, and I was like exploring exploring my own space, and things were going they were going relatively well. They were like quiet, consistent, but so I was doing a combination of working in a salon and doing mobile practice as well. So I, I had included that in my license. In my um, this license allowed me to do mobile practice. So I just felt like my business was running me, not my like right. me running my business. So that was really, really challenging. Um, it took ages to get that hist registration. Like I'm, I'm not even convinced that I got it that early. I think it was December two thousand and eighteen before I got it. Right. Um, but it was a really long drawn out process of getting that his registration and then yeah so there was this point where I was doing mobile practice and I was just you know when people were messaging me rather than saying well these are what my spaces are I was too scared to say you know oh no I'm not going to see you on Tuesday like we've got a space on Wednesday yeah I'll just see you on Tuesday and I was just run ragged I was running to the ground
0: yeah so that another side of so we talked earlier about how your prices were too low. But yeah. Now it's like your time was too pulled yeah. in different yeah. directions. And again, exactly. I think every single person who's listening to mm. that, to this, will totally resonate with that. Mm-hmm. So things were going. We've got a. Um, we've talked about the different chronology and everything, but yeah. In so we are now in September 2019. Yeah. And it, am I right in saying, or was it late August when disaster struck? So, um, it was almost
1: a year ago yeah. to the day, I'm yeah. sure. like, yeah, That makes it was, sense to me. It was, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was late August, early September yeah. when it happened.
0: And what happened? We're talking now about your complication that you experienced.
1: Yeah, so um, a colleague of mine, um, I had done tear trough treatment on her and she had asked me if, if she could do mine and I assumed it. She was a, an experienced practitioner, but what in fact happened was when um, I came to get my tear troughs done, it was part of a training day. So I was in the middle of getting my tear troughs done and when I did my training, it was all cannula, there was no needles involved. So I wasn't expecting there to be a needle, um, but all of a sudden there was a needle on the, on the lateral part of my eye. Um, and she was having a little bit of trouble finding, I think you're only supposed to inject on the bone, and she was having a bit of trouble finding the bone. Her needle slipped and um, actually, like, scratched the side of my eye. And afterwards, um, I just wasn't right. I was post night shift, I went home, I had a blinding headache, went to bed, um, woke up the next day, still had a blinding headache, had double vision. I just assumed it was all post night shift and, and never really put it together with this treatment. And it wasn't until my husband looked at me and said, Like Paula, you've got a ptosis, like your eyelids droopy that I was like, Oh no, something's wrong and so I sent a picture to the um the girl who done the treatment she sent it to the trainer and they were just like oh it's just swelling and at that point I was like something clicks in my head and I was like I've got double vision I've got a ptosis and I've had a dermal filler procedure like so I checked my own visual fields and realized that I couldn't see out of the top quarter of one of my eyes um and at that point I was like oh my god Like, what, what am I going to do so I messaged everybody that I could think of I messaged every local practitioner to see if anyone would help me and nobody nobody was really knew what I was talking about nobody really knew what to do with dermal filler blindness Um I got to speak to a plastic surgeon who said you need to reverse this like you need to reverse this now And I was like, right, okay. So again, tried every local practitioner that I could think of to see if anybody would would reverse it for me. And nobody would do it. So I reversed it myself Mm -hmm. and then presented to ophthalmology at at the hospital that I work in, thinking, oh, just go and see ophthalmology and then it'll all be fine and I'll go to work afterwards. And they were like, it looks like you've had a stroke. Like it genuinely looks from your pictures and from your visual field lost like you've had a stroke Um, and nobody had really heard of dermal filler stroke or dermal filler blindness and everybody that i spoke to was like tear trough treatment what what even is tear trough treatment Mm -hmm. like so it was really it was a horrible experience and obviously the practitioner she was in pieces she didn't know what to do um Nobody, nobody knew what to do. And I was bounced between ophthalmology. I was bounced between neurology Mm. and stroke. And I was just in a really, really bad place. Nobody knew what to do. So the only, you know, we're now nearly five days post-treatment. And the only treatment that I've had is the hiles that I've given myself, Mm. you know. And I'm getting scans after scans. I'm sitting in a stroke ward in a hospital that I work in thinking what have I done to myself you know um they're telling me so I've got constant double vision I can't focus I'm not allowed to drive because I've got this visual field defect I've got this ptosis and I've got this big massive injury on the side of my eye and um and I'm just thinking like what like what on earth drove me to do this like were my tear tops that bad and and um I just felt this overwhelming guilt and I also felt this overwhelming sense of helplessness as well yeah. because nobody, nobody knew what to do. And that was when I reached out to to Tim. I was a bit scared to post on a forum because mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to be torn to pieces or I'm just going to have like umpteen people answering me and, and not going to be able to do anything with it. So I was too scared to make a... I cry for help on one of the forums so I messaged you guys individually and a couple of other practitioners that I'd heard of just to say like what do I do like I'm, I'm in a stroke ward nobody's listening to me nobody's heard of this and I think I think I should be getting x y and z treatment but nobody knows what to do so my consultant because of the nature of my headache was sudden onset in the context of it was when I was getting an injection, was going down the route of a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Right. And in, the, in that context, steroids are contraindicated. In dermal filler blindness, you would give high-dose steroids. So we, I had this like dichotomy of mm-hmm. them thinking one thing and me knowing it wasn't you yes. know, I, I've, I've been in acute medicine, I know what subarachnoid hemorrhage I knew that I didn't have a subarachnoid hemorrhage, um, and that was when I phoned you guys, and, and um, you gave me a, a good chat on the phone, and inspired me to basically present my case to the consultant the next day.
0: And one of the, the, the from my perspective, I remember it, you know, I probably remember it my whole life, talking to you. The thing, the overarching thing that I experienced was, and I think it's why I feel like I kind of know you yeah. in, in a moment, is that the thing that just was so brutal for you is that you have gone from being this yeah. absolute top of your game yeah. to yeah. now being so vulnerable. Yes. And not only that, but the consultants are of course trying their best, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. but they don't know and they are slightly challenging the thing that you feel like you know from the first principles yeah. that you're applying, Yeah. but they're kind of challenging that and now you are, you know, it felt like you in, in your own mind were reduced. Yeah, and I was
1: in the bed with the hospital gown on, the TED stockings on, like I was that vulnerable person, not the one on the ward war- round, yeah. like being in control of of the decisions being made and it was horrible,
0: Mm. horrible. And how did it play out? Tell us what happened
1: in the end. So the following day after speaking to you two, I presented my case and um, another uh, colleague, Lee Walker, had also been really helpful and had sent some um, information that I had printed out for the consultants to read Um, and I presented my case to them and they agreed that giving steroids was reasonable, they started me on steroids, they started me on aspirin and they discharged me Um, but they discharged me saying we don't think this is going to get any better, like if it's a stroke it'll get better, great if this is a physical injury to your eye this is not going to get better so this is going to be your life so i was discharged home with double vision with you know a visual field defect i couldn't drive i couldn't pick my kids up from school and i had no hope of getting better so i was discharged home to just like you know one minute trying to like ride the wave of an aesthetics career and I was I had a great career in the NHS to I might not even be able to be a nurse now like I can barely be a mum you know and and it was so humbling it was so humbling and I spent maybe about a week I think feeling a little bit sorry for myself and also very vain and very like oh Why, why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? I didn't even need this treatment. This was ridiculous. And then really like, you know, had a good word with myself, like picked myself up and said, right, what, what am I going to use this time to do? So finished my master's. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I'll do. Facing emotional oblivion? I'll just finish my
1: master's. I finished my master's. So I remember, like, literally with one patch on so that I didn't have double vision, like, sitting typing my master's. And, um, and, spe- and enjoying spending time with the kids because I never get to spend time with the kids. So literally enjoying spending time with them. And then planning my return because i was i was determined that i was going to get back to it planning my return
0: why were you determined
1: um i think i think i just had this belief that things would get better and there was a low point because i went back from my 2 week checkup and i was sure that things were getting better and then when they retested me they were like you've made no progress at all we think this is permanent and i was like gutted absolutely gutted because in my in my head I felt functionally like things were getting better and they were talking about giving me different types of glasses and all sorts of stuff and, you know, like um, having to do different tests to be able to drive and that that was really, really hard, but I kind of just ignored it almost because I was like, right, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going. I have, in my head, I'm, I'm going to get better. I am going to get better from this. I'm going to recover from this and I'm going to use this time to enjoy my kids and to get back to a good career in the NHS and a great aesthetics business.
0: But See, I can't move on without truly understanding that point because when adversity strikes us in any area of life, whether it be, you know, someone doesn't look at us in the corridor or whether it be, you know, something hideous happens to someone we love, we have, I believe, three choices. You can either resent the hell out of it and go into a pit of you know despair you can go into nihilism which is to basically be like i can't do anything i'm screwed and just kind of again go into the fetal position in a corner or you can make the empowering choice which is what what can i make with this what can i do now why did you choose that third way
1: i think like so this was in the prelude to your cliff jump academy yes, so there was yeah yeah so literally the day All after the I got cleared September. to yeah. drive I drove down to the cliff jump academy um and then and, you
0: instantly became like the hero
1: yeah like well there was two was heroes so that you and Jade Mitchell
0: was, were just like oh it so was ridiculous.
1: amazing um but I think you know you sort of kept saying to me like what's the what's the meaning, like, what is the meaning in all this to you? Like, what is it that drives you? And I really, like, asked myself that question, like, what has driven me? And, and it, like, it was very, it was probably a very deep, like, time, you know, for me of self-evaluation. And um, and the thing that drives me, you know, is, is my kids and my family. I've got three kids who are 13, 8 and 7. And I was doing all this for them, not for myself. Like I did, yeah, I did that treatment for myself, but I went into aesthetics because I wanted to take them on holiday. I wanted to, you know, I wanted them to get all the things that I didn't get when I was younger. I I grew up in a large family where, you know, my parents didn't have a massive amount of money and I wanted to give them something different. And I thought, right, okay, so if I sit and feel sorry for myself, they're going to see me Feeling sorry for myself they're going to see what I've done and what are they going to learn from this they're going to learn that you know like vanity gets you into trouble and then you just sit and feel sorry for yourself and mope around that's not the lesson here that's absolutely not the story I want to tell I want to tell a different story than this and you know between Jean, you and Tim you know talking about like what meaning am I giving this and what story do you want to tell from it I wanted to tell a different story and I wanted to tell a story about how I used that time to better myself and to move forward and to to like spend meaningful time with my kids and to finish a masters that had been hanging over my head for years and and then actually design the model of what was going to make my business better. And at the end of it, I always knew. I just believed I was going to get better. I just knew it, and it just was weird that it coincided with the day before Cliff Jump Academy that I got the all-clear to drive. But then I was like determined to come down and use that to just really, you know, kick me up the arse. And
0: and then what happened? So Cliff Jump Academy for anyone who doesn't amazing. know, it's like can- it's like a mindset event yeah. that we do. Um, we did another one in June. Yeah. And it's a chance for anyone who is striving in aesthetics to come and basically have a big fat word with themselves yeah. and just continue Some to strive. Some really powerful exercises. And in that, unprompted, because I did not say you up, yeah. you stood up in yeah. front of those 50 people and you explained what happened. And I remember people were shocked. Yeah. And especially as it was so freaking raw. Yeah. It just happened and I think again in the same way that when I spoke to you when you were in that low moment in the hospital and I saw what I would say I saw your soul yeah and I saw your values and what you meant and what you how how your life has set up the meaning yeah and I think the same thing is what happened with those 50 people yeah and then that's continued in the another massively empowering thing so we've so far we've got spending time with your kids We've got finish your masters. Yeah. We've got have have a deep look at your your aesthetics business and what you like, what its values and its mission statement, everything like that. You spent that time yeah. to do, yeah. And also in the aftermath, you've been teaching and helping people, yeah. all about complications. For example, intense um, complications, yeah. uh, mastery yeah. e-learning. You you know super kindly ex- shared your experience as one of the case studies. And so does that, do you do that for the same reasons that you want it to have a meaning, an empowering meaning?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so there's a few things that motivate me in terms of sharing that experience. So one is that feeling that I had in that hospital bed that night, I thought I never want any patient to feel like that or practitioner to have a patient feeling like that.
0: Which is not like no one, no, no one really knows yeah, what's going yeah, on. Exactly.
1: Right? So yeah, exactly. Nobody, so nobody taking charge, nobody understanding what's going on, nobody being responsible and feeling completely hopeless. Mm. I never ever want any of my patients or practitioners roundabout to have a patient that ever feels like that because of a treatment. So Whatever I can do to to affect that and to make that better. So I wanted to educate myself. And that was that was one of the meaningful things that I took away from Cliff Jump was I wanted to educate myself to be a complications expert. Yes. Absolutely. And then the other one was writing a letter to your future children mm. and your future self about what your life was like if you didn't make significant changes and those like two particular exercises were very 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 like powerful to me in terms of actually justifying my actions to my future self and my future children and, and saying right okay do you know what my time my time has a value like I need to I need to charge my worth but also I need to learn from this experience and share what I've got you know, like unselfishly because nobody there's no reason why anyone should ever have felt the way that I felt that night It's there's there's no reason for it it was completely avoidable had somebody just known or been
0: able to offer assistance And do you know what is so incredibly powerful about that from my perspective is that what happened to you in that moment was the deepest empathy Yeah now you're actually empathising with a person that doesn't exist and hasn't yeah. you know, obviously you've never caused fellow blindness but when you sit in your customer's shoes yeah. in the deepest way just makes yeah. me emotional thinking about it then I believe that you have the very best platform for business. Absolutely. And I know myself, when I had 12 syringes, actually I had, um, I think, 10 syringes first of all, and then, and then the year after 12 syringes. Again, it's not it's not as deep as that. But actually, I was like, oh, this thing's frigging awesome. Ah. Let's talk about this. And, yeah. and I'm not saying anyone should have treatment if they don't want to, any practitioners. But the point is, you have to get out of your own head you do and start looking whether it be in that horrible enforced yeah. way and start standing in the shoes of your patients yeah absolutely what's going on with them what do they fear what are they what are their deepest fears their deepest hopes their deepest connection moments that they yeah. had with you and, and when you have that true empathy yeah. oh my god just yeah. everything changes so now yes. tell us so your, your business is Beautifully You Aesthetics yep. up in where, in Kilbride
1: East Kilbride yep in so Kilbride. just uh, south of Glasgow okay yes
0: and a big shift for you since the filler blindness incident or yes it must have yeah, yeah. it must say, yeah. yeah. is that you went into primary care yeah and so tell us, first of all, why you did that. So, um, first of all, it was
1: demographically closer to me, but secondly, I'd reached that glass that yes, glass ceiling yes. in the NHS. So I was very much restricted by my profession and I was starting to resent it and, and I could tell that I was resenting it and I wasn't being the best version of myself. I was feeling very held back, yes. both in... The NHS, but also in aesthetics as well. I was, I was, I was worried about being judged by these like senior colleagues yeah. around about me. And the, the weirdest part of it is, I actually learned later on after I'd left the NHS that some of those senior colleagues had their own clinics. Yes. You know, so I was worried about this judgment that really wasn't it wasn't there. Um, but I just wasn't, I wasn't being true to myself, I wasn't being the best version of myself and I was starting to be resentful of the things that I couldn't do rather than proud of the things that I was achieving and I knew I had to change, I knew I had to change that story so I went to primary care because I met GP partners that were very much like invested in that concrete floor no glass ceiling work to the top of your license we don't care what profession you come from if the governance is there and you can justify your ability to do something you know you can do like I don't know you could like do minor minor ops in the back room if you want like they just um they were really invested in that and they were invested in me developing other people like that so I met two individuals that I resonated with And then the weird thing that I didn't expect to happen was when I moved from acute care to primary care, all of a sudden, like clinical and like ability and business were okay. like because general practice is very much a business and it's all right to think about what you're giving clinically as a business because they do. You know, whereas in the and, NHS, you don't really think
0: about it like that. And just to be clear, you have a clinical role, but you also help them with all of their yeah. governance yeah. And, the, and the structural yeah. elements. Yeah. So you were in doing it, yeah. you know, doing yeah, that yeah. business. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's so, it's so fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. obviously there's a whole political debate around yeah. that. But yeah. But almost, so you were able to spread your rings. Yeah. Both actually to do the act of business in yep. this new um, environment, this new primary care environment, but also emotionally, yep. a mindset. Yep. So you put yourself into a new environment yep. and from there, you were able to be like, you you deshackled yourself. I did, yeah.
1: They? So I went in and I was very honest with them about the business that I had um, when I went for interview and sort of said like, this is going to be a big part of me and what I do. And they were like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> next. Yeah. Right. Yeah, next question. And you know, um, I had very much held back on social media until I started in primary care because I was worried about being judged by other like colleagues um, around me and I was worried about the content that I was putting out there and I was, you know, I had so many like shackles, like, but they were mine, they were, you know, I'd created them, nobody had, had said to me anything, I had just made them in my head and then when I moved into primary care, it was really like, it was an interesting journey because... All of the things that had made me successful in the NHS, I then applied to primary care and I joined a practice that had struggled a little bit, you know, when they had a fast turnover of advanced nurse practitioners, they didn't have a particularly happy nurse practitioner service and, you know, stabilised it in a very, very short period of time. And I did that using, like, every every skill that I'd learned and also applying the clinical acumen that I had from, from acute and really like feeling the value of myself and then that sort of translated into my business as well because I thought well I've you know what, what is it that's making me successful what is it that's made me successful and the answer is like my personality my consultation and when you ask clients for my feedback so why do they keep coming back to me and they come back to me because They trust me. They know that I'm good. I give a great consultation. We have a great laugh. I build personal relationships with all of my clients, you know, in a professional way. But I I always... So part of my consultation is I'll ask them about the personal life and I'll make notes about that. So you know, they're, they're having a tough time with their boyfriend, and I think, you know, the next time I see them, I'll say, oh, how things how do things work out? Um, and that, like, ability to connect with people, they they love, they absolutely love, you know, they want you to be invested in them yeah. personally, because yeah. then you feel like you're on your side. But
0: that is so, I mean, that's next level mindset. Yeah, yeah. You've literally, there was a moment when you said, when you asked this crazily empowering question, which is, oh, what made me successful yeah. in this other context? Well, it sounds like the chronology was you were successful. You moved into a new environment. You were like, oh, that's interesting. I have had a really quick impact. Yeah. Oh, let me think about how in my third environment, which yeah. was always was going on at the same time, how can I use my personality or yes. no no you said what was it that made me successful oh let's use that and the answer came back yeah. it was me it was right me there. and that's so incredibly yeah. powerful because again thinking about people watching this and listening to this we often think that we are a problem not a solution yeah. and yeah. I you know I'm on a massive mission to to try and teach people the opposite yeah because and again I'm not doing it just because you know that's what I think, I'm doing it because that's what I view and I see people winning in aesthetics yeah. because they got their personality, they acknowledged it, yeah. they became conscious about it and then they doubled down on it. Yeah, absolutely. Double down, it. do absolutely. more of it absolutely. and tell the world. So tell yeah. us about the telling the world element because when yeah. you were able to spread your wings with social media.
1: So I mean like I had a lot of People in social media who I look up to, so like big shout out to Katie Plows, like hi, love, love you so much. The Plow, the yeah, plowster. the Plowster. <laughs> um, and I loved what she was doing, and like I would miss you. I was talking and I'd be like, oh, do you mind if we like maybe do a version of this? And I just I loved what she was doing. I loved her self belief, and I was and and I and I loved the way that she was connecting with her with her clients with her patients, um. And we're, we're different. We've got different personalities, absolutely. But I thought, yeah, like, do you know what? I think I think I, I want to have a go at this. I want to have a go at connecting with my clients. EDI, I want to have a I go. See. Yeah. So we did lives. We did, like, you know, we did lives where um, myself and my partner, um, Rebecca, would be sitting on our lunch break eating pizza, talking about lip filler and, you know, just keeping it really real. Mm. And we'd also have, like, lives where we did demonstrations of lip fillers. um, Facebook lives. yeah. Facebook lives, yeah. Um, We did, like, Insta stories. um, And... The, like the more feedback we got from it the better and then like more people would watch them more people would come in they would comment on them and they, they really really liked them and then we you know we started to get this like hashtag around it so our hashtag is lip Fairy banter like that's that's literally like what our clients came up with um because they just they loved it they loved the chat they loved the frankness of it they loved it you know that we would we would address their deepest fears of having two sausage lips or looking like a duck, and you know, and talk about it frankly and and with humour, but also talk about really this is how we avoid that yes. and this is how we avoid that journey, um, and this is this is how we would encourage you and and how we do a consultation with you and that we would always to say no that. to you. Yeah. Uh-huh. So
0: what's amazing about that is that you are both doing you so yeah. you're bringing out the true you yeah. which is which is super professional but banterous yeah. and warm. that's another yeah. massive thing that i think everyone feels from you but also credentialing yourself yeah. at the same time and not yeah. being like come and get your lip filler it's no. more just like if you want to get lip filler and you're in the space for this yeah then wh- whoever you go to this is what this you consider? We consider yes exactly. absolutely Which is a complete like judo move
1: absolutely yeah we never we never sell our brand um like we just we just put ourselves out there and it's it's hard like don't don't get me wrong it is hard to do um and so social media for me was a big like I had a big mental block about social media you know I would write posts four times before I would put them out there but now I'm just like Just share content like people want to engage with you people want to laugh with you people want to know that you're human you know like (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) totally and that was the biggest like I would say our business in the last month has our Facebook you know like turnover has trebled in the last month and that's been the biggest difference has been literally
0: putting ourselves out there. Yourself, your, you know, your personality. Yes. So yeah. if anyone's watching this, work out what is your personality. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Really obvious, but we, we, we think we should be this, like, a perfect anchor. Yes. And going to be like, you know, like, yeah. like, a, like a news anchor. Or exactly. Something. And everyone's like, oh, whatever. Scroll, yeah. scroll. Where yeah. Whereas if you're actually you. I know. Like, oh
1: exactly exactly and I think that when you know when I started off I had all these like scripted videos I was going to do about introducing myself and I was just like this is not what I'm like when people come into clinic I don't have a script like you know I ask people about their day if they come in and they look like they've had a crap day then we explore that like you know it's just about letting people see what it is that makes you 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 know and I could see Kate
0: doing that in her videos and Kate, Kate Plows and she's perfect at perfect secret yeah Asthetics. perfect
1: secret she's and living. she's like and her videos are amazing and she did a similar video talking about um I think it was lip fillers or something like that and I remember just thinking like it seems so simple but actually do you know what like we, we can do that we can do that in our own way and so we did it, like I said, over pizza, we talked about it and we addressed like all the points. So we had like a few points like, written down that we wanted to like address, but it was very informal and it was banter between the two of us. And Rebecca was more being like the patient and the patient's yes. advocate. And I was trying to like answer it from a sort of clinical perspective. Um, And it, it just worked out so so well and we got so much great feedback on it and then we've done a few videos since about like new treatments that we've brought out and um and people just they loved it because it was informative they could watch it without judgment they didn't need to message and ask questions they they said it was like you could read my mind you know it was like you you had already anticipated all the fears that i had and address them in a video that allowed me to watch it in my own time, in my own space, and then make a decision about what I want. So when they came in for consultation, they were already in the right place to do mm-hmm. it.
0: So with everything that you know, mm-hmm. with this ridiculous journey you've been yeah, on in less the than helicopter. two years, well, just, no, just over two years, mm. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to an aesthetic practitioner now who is either early doors in their career or is looking to grow this thing so that they can have more of it in their life? What would be the one thing you would say to them?
1: I think you have to like ask yourself what, what is it that's made you successful up to this point? What is, what is the one thing that has made you successful is it your personality is it your clinical acumen is it that you give a really good consultation? like what is the one thing that has made you successful and then use that as your launch pads to to sell your worth and never ever 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 forget your own worth like never never forget what your experience and your value never forget that it's okay to charge for that that's
0: beautiful thank yeah. you and just as an addendum to that if the word success mm-hmm. isn't necessarily resonating with people mm-hmm. because it may be that someone hasn't you know crazily risen through the ranks yeah I, I don't think it's when you use that word success you're not talking about a badge or even a grade no. or a rank tell me a bit more about someone who might be thinking would well, you know oh, sorry paul about I'm not no, successful
1: no i think like you know anybody who has made made a choice to go into aesthetics so who has invested in themselves in whatever way whether it's in the nhs or whether it's like in aesthetics if you've invested in yourself you you've recognized that there's something worth investing in so what was it what was it that was worth investing
0: in and why was it worth investing in it and then build on that (laughs) so let's just say that again so by what you're saying is that by taking a leap of faith mm-hmm. into something new yeah you're saying that we wouldn't have done that unless subconsciously we thought there was something yeah. worth investing yeah. in such yeah an interesting
1: what's your experience. why what's your why you feel all the time that what's but your no, why? But, it's,
0: but that's another thing but i feel like no i think what you're saying is a bit different to that you're saying but your why could be your children it could exactly. be separate to you yeah but your worth you're feeling yourself worth yeah. you're saying actually by taking this leap of faith mm-hmm. you might have more worth than you think. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. So you, you don't book on a course because you want a better life on your for your kids. Like that might that might be one of your driving factors, but you book on a course because you think, Do you know what, I'm gonna challenge myself clinically yeah. and I think I'm able and capable of doing this. There's something in me that resonates with us that either wants to make people feel better about themselves or is technically you know I must have some sort of some level of self belief or I would never have invested that amount of money in myself to begin with so what what was it that made me do that, what was the driving thing, what was the thing that made me believe that I was worth investing that amount of money in and then take that and build it and, and, that's, and that's your business in a nutshell isn't it?
0: And double down on it and another way around of saying that as I do is that it's listening to the angel on your shoulder yeah it's like that little voice that when you're driving along and you might go into a slight daydream obviously you're still looking at the road but you are in a daydream and you're thinking and the angel on your shoulder is saying to you what if yeah what if we could really we could make a go of this yeah. what would our life be like what would what holidays could we take our children on? Yeah. What memories could we create? What yeah. moments could we could we could we carve out? Yeah. And and I think we need to listen to her more, don't yes. we? It sounds like absolutely. that's what you're saying.
1: No, absolutely, yeah. Self-belief is an amazing thing. Yeah. And even
0: and I also think that what you're saying is that even if you don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, I am so believing in myself, yeah. that actually you can by taking deliberate steps, for example, asking yourself good questions, you can Create more of that self belief. Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think like I discovered it the wrong, the the long way round. You know, I really had imposter syndrome and had to over uh, like overcome that adversity. And I think a lot of people get that in aesthetics. You know, you've you've got to be in this for twenty years before you're an expert. It's it's not about that at all. It's absolutely not about that. It is about. The relationship that you build with your 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 patients with your clients it is about like you doing something that makes their day better that makes their you know makes them smile when they put their lipstick on in the morning like that is such an empowering thing to do and you know like it it's not about your technical ability, it's not about your consultation, it's about everything that brings that together and that ability like to build a relationship with somebody so that they trust you with their face. Like, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It
0: really, really is. Well thank you for being a pioneer in the industry, a pioneer of using your personality yeah. and spreading that and yes. giving that beautiful Getting gift back. to us all so thank you for when you've given that to me and, <laughs> and, and on you. in the places that i hang out in the groups etc yeah. thank you so much and thanks for your time it was phenomenal i knew thank you for inviting me <laughs> it's been
1: lovely to come down it's been great to be here it's been such an experience and i've loved it loved no. everyone out of it
0: so guys if you found that useful please do drop us a note either in the comments below to let us know give us a review that would be very very great if you do that on itunes and also let us know what other topics mindset or otherwise or business success or clinical that you would be interested in and we would absolutely love to do that for you so thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time